for Holy Spirit, um, you regenerated us, giving us new life. And that new life uh, in us is blossoming forward in works and acts of holiness. Um, uh, works that come not from what's in us, but from what you have worked in us uh, by your Spirit. Uh, that you are applying that work of Christ to us and more and more uh, reflecting in us the work of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Uh, we thank you that uh, you have uh, revealed this work to us, that uh, you accomplished it, and then you've communicated it to us, both externally by the word, uh, inscripturated um, by the apostles and prophets, but even more so, we thank you for how you reveal it to us by that indwelling of the Spirit. And we do ask that this morning that that Spirit would guide us in all truth uh, concerning our Savior, Jesus Christ, and uh, showing us our sin, but also showing us the paths of holiness uh, which you would have us walk. Um, give us uh, insight into that word by your Spirit. Um, as we gather together, may the Spirit uh, be present, uh, guiding us, helping us to see things that with our eyes of flesh we might not, um, uh, we might not notice but with the eyes of the Spirit and the ears of the Spirit, we're receptive to the things of the Spirit. And so uh, make us receptive uh, this day um, as we uh, seek to grow in the grace and love of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. All right, um, as we begin, so, you know, just for all of us, but especially for those of you who might not have uh, been with us the last couple weeks, um, so we've been talking about the, the lives of the Holy Spirit, or the role of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And last week in particular, we looked at Romans 8. Um, and in chapter 8, Paul talks about the effects of our union with Christ. And we uh, discussed last week that the central role of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Christ and to unite us to him and to all those who participate in his body. The Holy Spirit is the bond of our union with Christ, we said last week. Um, I, I came across this quote uh, this week. It would have been really good last week, but I didn't find it then. <laughs> but, you know, that's how things work. So it, 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 I'm using it in summary today, even though I didn't say it last week. Um, Calvin uh, said this, We must understand that as long as Christ remains outside of us and we are separated from him, all that he has suffered and done for the salvation of the human race remains useless and of no value for us. All that he possesses is nothing to us until we grow into one body with him. To sum up, the Holy Spirit is the bond by which Christ effectually unites us to himself. Having the Spirit is the same thing as having Christ in you. If a person does not have the Holy Spirit, he's not a true believer. We talked about last week, every believer is indwelt by the Holy Spirit and therefore is in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is that tie that binds us to Christ. The Holy Spirit is the one who communicates to us the life-giving righteousness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit is not life in the redemptive sphere apart from the accomplishment of the redemption by Christ. According to Paul, we're not justified and then set free to achieve a holiness of our own making. 
Rather, we are justified and sanctified on account of his righteousness, which the apostle calls the righteousness of God, which is the righteousness and obedience of Christ. The Holy Spirit is life in relation to an annulment of that death, which conditions our sinful situation. Um, being united to Christ means being indwelt by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings new life to a person. This life, uh, as we saw last week, is a liberated life, a foretaste of the world to come. Moreover, it's a fruitful life as the Spirit reshapes our moral character. The Spirit's mission is not to make an extrovert of every Christian. Rather, the fruit of the Spirit is about Christ-like character. Further, the new life that the Spirit brings is a sanctified life. God's people are to be holy. Christ died not just to pay for our sins, but to make us holy. We're holy by the virtue of having the Holy Spirit, not by virtue of our achieving our own holiness. As one theologian has said, our holiness is an alien holiness. It's not natural to us but as a foreign presence that comes to us by the active presence and work of the Holy Spirit resident in our hearts, just like we possess not our own righteousness, but an alien righteousness. The believer is not endowed with a reservoir of strength from which he draws independently of God. It is always by the Spirit that each sanctified and sanctifying activity is exercised. And then finally, last week, we saw that those who are led by the Spirit are adopted as the sons of God. And if they are the sons of God, that status guarantees eternal life. As Paul says um, in verse 15 uh, through 17 of Romans 8, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. The activity of the believer evidences the spirit's activity, and the activity of the spirit causes the believer's activity. Our assurance of salvation, the guarantee of our hope, does not rest upon our behaviors, but comes from the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit that, that makes us children of God and recipients of a glorious inheritance that we did not earn. And I hope you, you caught this uh, last week and the comfort in this, the application um, about assurance. We do not have to live in slavish fear that our sin this day might cause God to despise us and cast us out. Instead, when we sin, the Holy Spirit takes us back to the cross. The Spirit takes us back to faith and repentance. The Spirit takes us back to Christ's righteousness and holiness. Growth in grace does not mean that we reach a place where we no longer need Christ's work. Growth in grace is the daily discovery of our deep need for Christ. So that's kind of uh, what we talked about last week. Um, and today, we want us to kind of continue in this vein. And our guiding questions, I just copy, cut, and paste <laughs> from last week. Um, so that if you, last week, our two shaping questions, uh, overall questions were, why do we need the Spirit's presence? 
And what does the Holy Spirit do for us and in us? So last week we asked those two questions in terms of Romans 8. Um, today we're going to look at, um, start um, by looking at a couple of passages in 1 Corinthians. So if I could get somebody to read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17 for me. All right, Jay. And then if somebody can read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Mark. All right. So let's uh, see what uh, Paul has to tell us in these two passages from 1 Corinthians. So, Jay? And now, uh, Mark, uh, chapter 6, verses 9 through 20. Okay, good, thanks. Um, so in, in both of these passages, Paul uses this language um, that uh, we are God's temple. So what does Paul mean when he states that we are God's temples? What does that mean? That's the answer for this Sunday school. Like, normally it's Jesus, but in this Sunday school, it's the Holy Spirit. Um, so, can we get beyond Jay's Sunday school answer? <laughs> Actually, you know, uh, as the, the Jesus as a Sunday school answer is often right. <laughs> in this case, as we think about, you know, how is it that we're God's temples, um, and it 
you know, it is the result of the Holy Spirit. Um, we could flesh that out a little more. Yeah, Bill. Yeah, if we think of, you know, think of the role of the temple um, in the Old Covenant, um, the, the temple as it existed, both as the tabernacle in the wilderness and then as um, a, a site um, specified in Jerusalem, the city of David, it is the sign, the visible sign of God's presence among his people. Um, and, you know, the, you know, one of the great pictures we have of that presence is right before um, um, the, the Judeans are taken off into exile to Babylon. Um, uh, Ezekiel has that, that vision where he's, he's taken. Um, he's already in captivity, but he's taken by the Spirit back into to see, and he sees God's glory literally depart um, from the temple and the sign that God is no longer present in this, among this people. And then they're you know, they're dragged into captivity. So as we think about, you know, what a temple is and what a temple means, yeah, I think you're absolutely right. It's this, this place, um, and, it, you know, as we know, God's everywhere, so, you know, we know that's not literally his house, but it's this place where he, he visibly says he takes up residence. It's the place where his glory, uh, you know, think of the tabernacle, the glory came and fell down upon that tabernacle. It's the holy place. It's the set-apart place um, where uh, man comes and encounters God. Yeah, Jerry. Yeah, it's, it's the way that, you know, like we talked about with those passages in John, you know, Christ said, it's for your benefit that I go away. Um, because by going away, I can be with you always. <laughs> yeah, and it, it doesn't quite make sense to us, but by his departing in the body, he can be present among us all by the Spirit. And as we think about, you know, the, how the new covenant promises build upon those old covenant um, signs and symbols. Um, here, it, it, you know, think about that establishment of a, a priestly order that serves in the temple. And now, you know, Paul is saying, we are that temple. You know, we are the place where God has tabernacled, where God dwells by his spirit. Um, and that is, you know, again, it's, it's, it's not an external presence. It's this uh, internal promise of God dwelling in our hearts, taking up residence within us.
Well, I'm, you should want them there. <laughs> um, and as we think of, again, sort of the relationship, and this isn't so much in terms of the, the temple uh, per se, um, you know, but this is, this is like if, uh, if James Glover was still here, you know, this is where I would uh, ask him to call upon our favorite verse um, from, from Exodus, where, you know, uh, you yourselves have seen what I did to the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now, therefore, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, you shall be my treasured possession among all peoples, for all the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you shall speak to the people of Israel. So the intention all along is for God to have, you know, for, to, to have a kingdom of priests, to have a holy nation. And what the Old Covenant shows, and we talked about this some last week, is that cannot be achieved by man fulfilling the works of the law. Um, that, that those works only bring death, only show us the depth of our sin. Um, we need, uh, because sin, um, and we talked about this last week, sin uh, apart from, from Christ is the governing principle of our life. We need a new, you know, I, I don't know why I picked a bus. I should have like picked like a mini or something. I don't know. I, I, I think of myself as a bus. Um, but, you know, the, the sin had been driving the bus of my life, and now it's the spirit that's the, the driving principle. And the spirit can take me into holiness in ways I wouldn't go before. So as we see this, you know, the intention is, is always, throughout the scripture, is the same. Is, the, you know, there's this breach between God and man because of sin. And how is that breach going to be made so that we can be a holy people who can stand in the presence and, and live in relationship with a holy God? And it can't be done um, by works of the law, because our because our sin corrupts everything we do. We need we need life. You know, we're dead in our sins and trespasses. Um, we need um, yeah a, a different ordering principle, and that's you know rather than uh, having an external temple, you know that we have to go to to encounter God. Again, it's the way that God has come to us. <laughs> um, God has bridged the gap. And he's bridged that gap by, by, you know, as Jerry said, first dwelling among us, by tabernacling among us in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And once his earthly work was done and he's fulfilled the works of the law and righteousness and then given himself as a perfect sacrifice to pay the punishment that we deserve, now God can be present, not just external to us in a temple or even in the person of Christ, but now you know, is inside us. The holy God can dwell in us because of the work of the Spirit applying to us Christ's righteousness and holiness, you know, that making us this holy place. Andre, you. Um, I think both. Uh, I think maybe that, um, let's see what I wrote in my note here <laughs> to make sure I, uh, I wrote this down correctly. Um, so uh, 
Yes. So I think the 316 and 17 is, is more of a corporate sense that we as a church are the temple. And you can sort of think of the way um, Peter talks about this. You know, we're spiritual stones, you know, be made in us to a spiritual edifice, you know. So they're talking about the church itself being constructed of a, as a temple, um, not of bricks and mortar, but a, a, a temple of, of spiritual beings, people made alive by the spirit. But I think the second one, um, um, the um, chapter six, um, with the emphasis on, um, you know, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful me, but I will not be slave by, for anything. So there, I think he's, he's shifting as he talks in that discussion and, and is talking about the need for personal holiness um, and, and how the spirit, uh, as you know, our bodies are the temple of, of God's spirit, um, how that's the presence of that Holy Spirit that should lead us to, to flee from sexual immorality, from the desires of the flesh. Um, and again, it's that this, you know, we flee from those things because this, you know, the spirit has made us holy. And it's, you know, again, it's not that we flee from those things in order for the spirit to take up residence in us, that we've got to like clean the temple out <laughs> in order to make it holy for the spirit. But no, it's the spirit has come and made us his temple. And, you know, by the light of Christ shining in us, we see more and more the presence of our, the sin and the, you know, the lack of holiness within ourselves and are desirous to drive that out, again, by the Spirit working in us. Bill. Yeah, and it, I think you're absolutely right. I mean, he, he's, he's making a, a bold statement there, and he's saying it um, in, in you know, graphic terms. I mean, this is, yeah, this is about as graphic <laughs> as the, this, well, yeah, about as graphic sexually as the, uh, the scriptures get. But, you know, shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. <laughs> and, you know, and this is how, you know, as we talk about this and the spiritual role in sanctification, there are two ways we can get off the path in the Christian life. We can veer off on one side into legalism, where we think by our works, by our strength, we, by following the law, now we make ourselves holy. And Paul is like, no, <laughs> you're made holy because of the presence of the Spirit in you apart from the works of the law. But we can fall off by, you know, again, sort of think of the argument Paul makes in Romans. Then we can drive off the other side. Oh, does that mean I can do whatever I want? <laughs> um, and, and here, you know, all things are lawful for me. So Paul, you know, because of the spirit, you know, being the law of our hearts, written in our hearts, um, and, you know, is everything lawful for me? In one sense, yeah, you know, because my security is secured by Christ, not by my works. But does that mean everything is helpful for me? No. <laughs> does that mean I should go out and join my body with a prostitute? Never. <laughs> you know, it's, it's the, the way that the spirit in us is driving us 
to holiness. You know, again, sin is still present. Sin is still in, in, in our bodies, in the flesh. Um, we're still driven into, or, or yeah, we still fall into sinful desires. We still fall into legalism. Um, we still fall into this kind of boasting self-pride where, you know, boy, isn't God lucky to have Steve Barry on his team? And, you know, and we do that, you know, ah. and as, you know, um, as the scriptures say, it's when we feel like uh, we've, we've made it, that's, that's the most dangerous position we can be in. You know, that the presence of the Holy Spirit is always, um, um, uh, is always, you know, aware of sinfulness. Um, this uh, John Murray, um, a uh, Scottish uh, theologian, um, said it this way, all sin in the believer is a contradiction of God's holiness. Remaining indwelling sin is therefore the contradiction of all that he as a regenerate person and son of God is. A person who's indwelt by the Holy Spirit sees and experiences the contradiction within the body of that person. Indeed, the more sanctified the person is, the more conformed he is to the image of his Savior, the more he recoils against every lack of conformity to the holiness, uh, holiness of God. Although sin remains, sin does not have the mastery. Although sin still lingers in our flesh, it's not God it's not sin, it's God that inhabits our bodily temples. So, um, so as we think about, you know, this, as we think about sanctification um, and to think about our, our growth um, in grace, um, we, we need to think about the role the Holy Spirit has in making us holy. Again, the, the idea of sanctify, to sanctify something is to make it holy. You know, the temple is a sanctified space. It's been made holy. It's been made separate from worldly things. And, and that's the way the, the sense Paul here, um, in chapter 6 especially, is emphasizing we have been set apart from common worldly use. Our bodies have been set apart from that use. We've been set apart from the things of the flesh for the things of the spirit. And so... And he acknowledges, you know, you were, um, uh, you were sexually immortal, immoral, idolaters, adulterers, men who practice homosexuality, thieves, greedy, drunkards, revilers, swindlers. You were, <laughs> and such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. So even though those sins, um, is still uh, in us, that sin does not characterize who we are. What characterizes who we are is the Spirit of God making us the temples of God. Good. Other things we can say about what Paul means by us being um, temples? Yeah, Ron.
Yeah, I mean, and it'd be the, I mean, to think about the analogy, it'd be like if you taking the prostitute to the temple. <laughs> you, know, it, you know, that's how radical, like, would you take a prostitute with you and fornicate with her in the temple of God? <laughs> no, that's what you're doing. <laughs> you know, and it's, it's that idea of, yeah, I think, you know, it, it's, you, you're introducing immorality into the place that God has designated holiness. And there's ways that, you know, we wouldn't do that externally. And Paul's saying, you're the temple of God. So why are you going to do, why are you going to unite Christ to the flesh of a prostitute? You know, why are you going to unite Christ to the sinful desires of the flesh? Um, and, but, but again, it's the, the driving part of this isn't that, and, and again, even in sanctification, grace always comes first. I think we have this temptation so often um, in terms of sanctification um, to sort of think of, all right, Christ justified us, and now sanctification is something we do. Um, rather than Christ justified us and Christ is sanctifying us as well. It's something we experience over time and in life, um, it, but it's, it's still his work in us. It's not our work in order to receive something from God. You know, um, rewards and punishments. You know, justification deals with rewards and punishments. Sanctification deals with you know, growing into what God has called us to be. And he's growing, uh, it's his spirit that's doing that work in us, working in us, conforming us to the likeness of his son. Um, you know, he's, and we have that privilege of being sanctified because, again, it, it's on the, the foundation of justification, but we can't, I think too often, we split justification and sanctification from one another and not see them as part of one work of Christ in us. I mean, you know, we can parse it and, and set them apart, but, you know, justification, you know, yes, that's a work of God in us, but sanctification is a work of Christ in us as well. Yeah, John. So what sets the temple apart is God sets it apart. <laughs> you know, that God, you know, and, and God creates the space. And, and again, this temple is a symbol um, for what, you know, this future work of what he's going to do. Um, so he sets apart this holy place where his presence dwells. And the emphasis is that we cannot go into that place. You know, once a year, Someone can enter into that temple, the Holy of Holies, and only with blood. 
You know, so you know, sort of think of what we've been talking about you know, throughout the book of Hebrews, that that whole temple sets up you know, the, the problem. It establishes our lack of holiness, our absolute separation from God. And how is that separation going to be bridged? And it's not going to be bridged by the blood of bulls and goats. It's not going to be bridged by um, us being able to obey the law perfectly because we can't. It can only be bridged by his perfect sacrifice and by his perfect obedience of the law that allows him to dwell in our hearts and to work at making us holy. Um, and again, it's the way that... Um, I, was, I, I use this analogy all the time, but, so I'm going to use it again. But I'll put a different spin on it. I was thinking about this. Um, the times my house growing up was, was n unclean. <laughs> was if, if you walked into my, my house growing up and there was dust somewhere, either one, my mom is hospitalized, <laughs> or two, the other time it happens, is we, we've, we've lost power for an extended period of time <laughs> and she can't see the dust. <laughs> um, uh, you know, because there was one winter, we were, we, our house was the last house on a dead end street. And, you know, in, in Nashville, we got ice storms. And so, you know, we got a severe ice storm and power was cut off. And um, our power line, uh, it, it wasn't our power line to the street, but the line connecting, you know, connecting to the last connection on the street was down. <laughs> so literally it was a power outage that affected one household. So, you know, with a million people without power, you know, what priority do you think we fell <laughs> on the uh, power company's priority list to, to repair their power grid? We were last. <laughs> so we were without power for, I don't know, how many days. Um, and that, you know, we're in darkness. It's winter, you know, short days, walking around with candles. Um, and that, I, you know, coming out of that was about the dirtiest I think I ever remember seeing my house, ever. Um, but once, you know, the power comes back, the light's on, it was, you know, you see the dirt. <laughs> and it's, you know, let's, let's, let's get to work, uh, you know, removing this. And it's that way that, you know, with the holiness of the Spirit set in us, we see the sinfulness in our lives. And we, you know, we no longer want to, or we no longer conform to that sinfulness. You know, it, it's, it's going to be present, and you clean one thing, and you find, you know, something else. Um, the other analogy I thought of this of, for sanctification is, is like my house. Um, when I bought my house, I knew it had problems. <laughs> I knew, you know, it, there were rooms in it, let's just be honest, they were ugly. <laughs> there were rooms in it that are still ugly. <laughs> and, but I'm slowly, over time, you know, um, painting rooms, peeling wallpaper, fixing this, fixing that. And so, you know, gradually the house is becoming more and more what I want it to be. But at the same time, you know, things I've fixed break. You know, walls I painted start to, to peel or, um, you know, you know, it's a house inhabited by four people, messy people. And so, you know, walls I painted get dirty and, and scarred. And um, so it's, and that's the way sanctification is. 
you know, we're, we're growing in, in grace, um, you know, but as we grow, the more we grow, the more we see how far we still lack. Um, and our hope doesn't reside in us being able to fix it. It's our hope resides in that Christ has sanctified us. And notice how, you know, we think of, we need to think of sanctification in two ways. Um, in verse 11 of chapter, uh, chapter 6, Paul says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, past tense. You were sanctified, past tense. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, past tense, um, and by the Spirit of God. So there's this way, um, and again, I talked about this last week, uh, Rick Lentz speaking um, about this on the subject at Presbytery uh, last Saturday. I will never look any holier to God than I look right now. Because when God sees me, he sees the holiness of Christ. It's the way that um, John Murray again talks about this, that we are definitively sanctified. Because um, sanctification is a work of God in us, and it's a definitive act. But we experience sanctification in time progressively. Um, so even though, you know, I'm tomorrow, I won't be any holier than I am now. I won't be any less holier than how, how God sees me now. Because God sees me through Christ. He sees Christ in me. But that, you know, as I experience and grow in grace in time, I'm being conformed more and more to the image of his son. Right. It's, it's active. But, but even as we think of that activity, we need to not think of the participation in the sense that we're adding our holiness. By us fleeing from the prostitute, we're adding holiness to the holiness that Christ has already secured in us. It's that holiness of Christ that's working itself through our active rejection of the prostitute. So, um, so again, to, to make sure that um, sanctification, even though we're active in it, is still a work of God's grace in us. It's gift too. It's not something that we independently accomplish. So I think that's the point, you know, I'm trying to, to emphasize here. No, no, and that's not what I'm saying. But I'm saying because we're temples of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit awakens us to the indwelling sin and gives us, you know, this desire not to, you know, not to sit around in a, uh, you know, and be comfortable in our sin. That sin, because of the Holy Spirit's presence in us, bothers us. That sin um, makes us want to flee idolatry, makes us want to, you know, have the desire, you know, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off, you know. It's, and again, it's not that we, it's us, oh, so, I'm, so I won't sin, I'll cut off my hand, and that way I'll be holy. It's because of the Holy Spirit in us that, you know, that see, helps us to see, as Ronnie said earlier, 
the radical aspect of sin, that it's just not some little peccadillo. It's, it's introducing immorality, offensive things into the living presence of God, you know, t- taking a prostitute into the temple of our flesh. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, you know uh, it's a work of response rather than a work of creation in us. You know, it's, we're responding to the Spirit's work in us rather than, you know, we're creating, you know, the ground in which the Spirit works in us. Yes, Scott. Yeah, it, it doesn't belong, you know, if your, your body is God's temple, it doesn't belong to you <laughs> for your purposes. <laughs> Um, yeah, so there are two elements, uh, and again, this is kind of classic reform definition of sanctification. Sanctification has two aspects, um, and I'm trying to channel John Murray, um, which is the, it's not only his idea, but... <laughs> um, okay, so um, I'm trying to remember what John Murray said. Um, uh, and let me see, actually, let me see if I wrote down what John Murray said, which is even better. <laughs> um, uh, okay, let's see, where did I put this? Um, the Corinthian Christians, for all their faults, were still saints. That's how he starts the book. Um, those who had been sanctified in that place of Corinth. I mean, that's how he addresses them. Um, in chapter 1, verse 2, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified, again, past tense, in completed action, in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord God and ours. So they are sanctified, and corporately and individually, they're the temple of the Holy Spirit. So, and that's what Murray, you know, when we see verses like that, that Murray says that's referring to our definitive sanctification, that our holiness, again, and that quote I used earlier, our holiness is an alien holiness. Our sanctification is God's work in us. That differs from justification because we experience growth. So it has a definitive aspect um, that we experience in time progressively. So even though they're definitively saints, holy ones, they need progressive sanctification, which refers to the process by which God works to make his children holy in character and not just in position. So it's the way that, um, again, sort of to take the, the analogy of my house, 
my house is, is mine. You know, it's, it's been purchased, it's been bought. Um, it's not yet what I conform to the image of what it should be, and that takes place over time. Um, so it's the way we experience. So again, God's outside time. So for him, justification, sanctification, glorification, our perfection, in one sense, are all already accomplished acts that we experience in time. So he can call us saints, holy ones. I mean, when you hear, think of the Corinthians, I, you know, who are the sanctified ones in the New Testament? I don't think of the church of Corinth. <laughs> um, but Paul calls them that. And yet he can also instruct them, as Jerry said, flee immorality, put away the things of the flesh. You know, it's the way um, uh, Paul in the second chapter of Philippians, you know, can tell us after telling us how Christ has accomplished salvation for us, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So um, we can think of sanctification. Again, this was, you know, Rick Lentz wants to, wanted us to emphasize the, the definitive aspect of that. Because if we don't, we f often fall into legalism. When we start thinking our sanctification is my progress in getting holier, then that is wrong. <laughs> it's God's conforming to the image of the Son. And so, um, and that progress um, comes about through time um, as, you know, and he will, there will be an end goal when, um, when we're in heaven and we're finally perfected in our flesh. It hasn't happened yet. Um, but there's a sense in God's eye, it, it already exists as a definitive fact. You know? And again, it's the way for our assurance. We, when we stumble in our Christian life, we don't have to lose assurance. Um, and again, our assurance isn't based on our works, just as our Salvation isn't based on our works. Our assurance shouldn't be based on our works. Our assurance should rest on the presence of the Holy Spirit. And we see that presence of the Holy Spirit by that Spirit's work in us, making us conform to the images of his Son. And as we, you know, again, I often use the knowledge, as I grow in grace, um, as I, you know, progress in my Christian life, I see more and more the need of my Savior. You know, it's, it's not, I'm better and better and better and better. <laughs> I'm growing, and, and in one sense, I am. You know, there's sins I used to do, I don't do anymore. But I've, un, you know, in not doing those other ones, I've uncovered lots of other ones that hadn't bothered me before. <laughs> um, and it's that way, you know, as I grow in grace, I'm growing, and as I'm growing my sanctification, I'm growing in my awareness of my sinfulness. And my hope doesn't um, depend on my being able to progress in sanctification. My hope rests on the definitive sanctification that God applies to us. Hold on, Jerry had his hand up. Practical or the progressive. 
the experience of it. Yeah, and I, and I can't boast because, hey, I, I've fled sexual immorality. You know, again, the way we, we, we always want to pat ourselves on the back. <laughs> Take the credit. <laughs> and, and the emphasis I think Paul wants to give, again, it's this idea that it's God in you. That's, again, that's making you holy. That's, that's leading you to flee sexual immorality. And again, not from the sense of an external rule that by fleeing sexual, sexual immorality, I've made myself holy, but this internal law of the spirit, that this is what now, because the spirit is the driving force in our life, that's what I want to do. You know, the spirit has um, changed our, our desires um, and is, is reworking us um, into that, that perfect picture of holiness. Um, and again, to sort of think, you know, like if I'm saved and I die tomorrow without really having a chance to grow in grace, I'm still saved and I'm still sanctified. You know, it's, it's the way the process, you know, <laughs> it doesn't matter how long the process is. If it's one day or a hundred years, um, it's God's work of sanctification. And he definitively, positionally, as Jerry said, uh, I'm holy because I'm holy by the Spirit's presence in me. In time, I experience progress in that holiness, not in my progressing, but the Spirit you know, progressing in me. Bill. Well, I think body there is our physical body because he just said, don't unite your body to a prostitute. Yeah, he uses it in both sense. And that's why we do church discipline because you know, if we see visible sin in the body of Christ, we, 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 we're supposed to deal with it because the Holy Spirit, again, um, is, is leading us. And Paul chastises the Corinthians there's sin among you that even the Gentiles haven't heard of. <laughs> you know, having a sexual relationship with your father's dead, or with your dead father's wife. <laughs> you know, the Gentiles don't even do this. Um, and so what are you doing letting this sinful uh, person, you know, 
stay comfortable in their sin. And so on a corporate level, it works. The Holy Spirit's presence in the church shouldn't let sin, us rest easy in the presence of sin. And the sins, um, the Spirit's um, dwelling in us doesn't let us rest easy in the presence of sin. All right, we're way over time, so I got to close this in prayer. Um, we can keep, uh, we'll, we'll talk about sanctification more next week. I had three other passages in my notes that we didn't even, so uh, yeah. <laughs> um, there's obviously a lot we can say about this, and, and we will next week. Um, but let me close this in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your gift of salvation. Um, and that salvation from beginning to last, uh, from uh, beginning uh, with justification and, and um, sanctification and glorification are all your work of grace in us. And we thank you that you um, have called us to be uh, priests um, in your kingdom and that we serve actively um, as uh, a priest in this temple that you've um, set uh, in our hearts, um, and that we can um, uh, be active um, in the in growth, in grace, and holiness. But help us uh, never to to boast that we've accomplished something, but to praise you for all that you've accomplished in us, and help us to see uh, that remaining sin that still has to be um, effaced from our flesh, the ways we still stumble and fall. And when we do stumble and fall, help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus Christ, the, the one who saves us, to never fall into the trap um, that, to think that um, because we sin, that we have um, somehow um, effaced your work, but that your work um, begun in us, you will bring to a good end. And so that's why we can say that, uh, as Paul says of these Corinthians, that they are sanctified because you're the one who's done it um, and you will do it um, perfectly. Um, but we experience it uh, in, in our imperfect bodies of the flesh. And so that's why we uh, uh, progress in it and sometimes regress. That's why we have to mortify sin and put to death the deeds of the flesh. That's why we have to flee from immorality and the desires of the body. That's why we have to be aware of um, uh, the consciousness of the Christians around us so that we don't um, offend them or lead them into sinful behaviors. Um, we do these things, again, not to earn holiness, but to um, respond to the working of the Spirit in us as it works holiness in us and through us. Uh, we thank you for that uh, indwelling spirit, and we thank you especially that it's that spirit that allows us to praise uh, in this coming hour, allows us to rejoice um, in your work, um, and allows us to worship you, um, to gather in your presence, to no longer have to flee or fear, but to come boldly um, into your presence um, as we approach your throne of grace. Uh, strengthen us by your spirit. Give us uh, lips and, and ears and eyes um, to be receptive to the spirits leading through your word um, and the way that your spirit is um, 
uniting us to Christ, conforming us more and more to his image. Uh, we ask all these things in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, by the power of that spirit. Amen.